of Romans chapter 8. And I don't know if I've ever done this before, but I'm going to be preaching less than one sentence today. Verse 17. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with him, in order that we may also be glorified with him. Father in heaven, we ask your, your spirit to open up our understanding to your word. I pray for the preaching of the word, that it would go forth with clarity, Lord, into our understanding. We pray, God, that you would enliven your word to, to bring a, a, a radical change in our lives. Father, what glory lies ahead. Lord, what a beautiful inheritance you have spread before your people. And now, Lord, we look forward to that day when we'll see Jesus face to face and spend eternity with you in glorified bodies. And we pray you would encourage us towards that end, especially those who are here who are going through trials right now. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. You know, when I was practicing law, uh, drafting wills was a regular part of the business. Um, seemed like there was always a new will to draft each week. And, uh, you know, a will, if those of you made up a will, is made up of at least three parts. One is there's a testator. That's a person who makes the will up. He's, he's the one who, 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 who uh, is the one who is giving away his estate or her estate. Uh, then there's the, uh, the beneficiaries. And the beneficiary are those who are going to receive the estate when, when the testator dies. And then there's the estate that defines really what the property is that's being passed on from one generation to the next. You know, when a testator would die, because what I would typically do is keep the wills in my safety deposit box, and then the person would pass away, and I would bring out the will. And sometimes we would have a formal reading of the will with all of the, all of the beneficiaries present. Uh, Every time I did that, it was interesting because there was always somebody there that was surprised. I didn't know that was what was going to happen, you know, something like that. And uh, there are times when uh, they maybe thought they were going to be in the will and they weren't. Or they thought they were going to receive a lot and they received a little. Or they didn't, weren't expecting anything and they received it all. You can imagine the shock when uh, the will of New York billionaire Leona Hensley was uh, read. You know, her estate, when she passed away, was worth about $8 billion. And so you know, the survivors, uh, one, one grandson and one granddaughter were there, and the will was being read. And you could probably just see the surprise, the shock that was on the face of both of them when they found out that the whole estate was being given over to charity. In fact, most of it was going to animal welfare shelters. There was even one bequeath in the will where $12 million was given to the eight-year-old dog. And they left with nothing. Now today, Paul is going to do something entirely different. He's going to sit us down today, and he's going to read another will to us in verse 17. And he's going to tell us right up front, so there's no surprises on that day, who the testator is. He's going to tell us who, who the beneficiaries are. He's going to tell us what the estate is. 
God does not wait to reveal it to us on, on the day that we pass from this life and say, surprise, for our delight and for our joy and for our sanctification. He tells us what's in the will even today. Now, why does he do that? I believe so that we can see the brightness, the majesty and the glory of our Lord and the majesty and the glory that awaits us when we breathe our last breath and enter into eternity. Uh, He's given it to us to be able to help us to persevere in the midst of trials and sufferings in this life. The glory that's ahead is so much greater than whatever trial that I'm going through in the present. Now in chapter 8, for those of you who've been with us for a while, we've been looking in, at the work of the Holy Spirit in the life of the believer, especially in the area of sanctification. The Spirit is the one who makes us children of God. He's the one who regenerated us, and so that when we heard the Word of God and we responded with the faith that was given to us by God. The Holy Spirit's the one who gave us the spirit of adoption so that we'd have all the, all the rights and all the privileges of a true son of the living God. And uh, he, he's the one who not only gave us the spirit of adoption, but gifted us with full assurance that, uh, that we truly are sons of the living God. We saw last week, verse 16, his spirit bears witness with our spirit that we are the sons of God. The children of God. Now, that's that inward testimony, isn't it, of the Holy Spirit. You know, as we're being led by the Spirit, that affirmation of that inward affirmation. By the way, that's a gift where he gives that in, inward affirmation that we truly are children of God. As we're led by the Spirit, we find ourselves, by His grace, mortifying the deeds of the flesh. The Spirit of adoption, and we, we cry out, Abba, Father, and now we have this tender, intimate humble relationship with God the Creator, and we're willing to do all that He commands, and we're trusting Him, and, and He's caring for us, and He's our Father. That inward affirmation is there by the Holy Spirit. This brings us to verse 17 this morning, perhaps the shortest verse ever penned. Uh, I know, I wish I would have penned a will like this, you know, not even a sentence long. Everything needs to be said in the will is right there in verse 17. If, we t- if you take a close look at your Bible, you'll see that uh, this, it, it's, it's not a complete sentence. It's a clause. It's sandwiched between 16 and 18. We see in 16, the Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we're children of God. And if children, it's verse 17, and heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him. For I consider that the suffering of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. You know, Paul is telling us the Holy Spirit is, is giving us full assurance that we're headed for glory. We're, we're, we're headed for a, for a whole new uh, transformed presence uh, beyond this life. And, and, and that future glory that we're going to see revealed here in this passage is on a pathway. And that pathway that leads to that future glory is filled with suffering. 
Spirit of God guarantees our future glory, verse 17 through 30. The glory we will inherit as sons of the living God. So we're going to open up and take a quick overview of this will this morning. We're going to see the glory of the inheritance that's yours if you're in Christ. And how that outweighs whatever suffering or trials you're going through in this life. There is in this uh, will a, what the lawyers call a condition precedent. In other words, that's where there's a condition in the will that has to be fulfilled before you're able to get bequeathed whatever it is that, that you're being bequeathed. Uh, and that's not uncommon in some wills. For example, you might have something in your will that a third of my estate goes to my, to my daughter as long as she graduates from college by the time she's 25. So that you see the condition has to be triggered before she gets her one-third share. Well, that's similar to what, what Paul's doing here in verse 17. Here Paul adds a condition precedent. Yes, I bequeath my heavenly riches to you and all the glory that's there as children that are inherited if they what? Suffer. If they first suffer with Christ. Now, this isn't a work. You get your, you get your uh, inheritance if you go out and suffer. It's not a work. But I believe Paul is telling us it is a pathway. It's a pathway we're on as Christians. It, it's a pathway of suffering. That is the Christian life. It's not a health, wealth, prosperity gospel. And we're going to see that uh, in three, three sections of this will this morning. Number one, the heirs uh, of God. The heirs of God. That, that is... The, that's the testator of the will. The heirs with Christ, that those are the beneficiaries under the will. And then the estate is going to be the heirs of glory. We're going to see at the very, very end. But let's look first of all at the heirs of God, who the testator is, verse 17. And if children, pulling over from verse 16, then heirs. Literally, and if children, not if, if you really are children, but more in the area of since you are children, because you are children, and he's connecting that with verse 16, therefore you are an heir with God. I'm not sure if Paul's drawing the imagery there from a, a Jewish uh, probate law or whether he's, he's drawing it from Roman probate law. But it is kind of fascinating under the, the, uh, the Jewish uh, probate law that uh, in the Old Covenant, so a dad dies and he leaves sons and daughters. Uh, according to Scripture, the firstborn gets a double portion. The firstborn son, law of primogenitor, he, primogenitor, he would get the first, the first double portion. And, of course, the other brothers that come along later, you're going to find out that they, they only get their one portion. And if you're a daughter, ah, then what happens if you're a daughter? Well, you don't get anything unless there's no brothers. And then you get a division equally between the, the daughters. So that was Jewish law, that Jewish probate law. And uh, here we're seeing that those who are children of God are heirs of God. They receive an inheritance from God. God is the testator. He's the one who's making supposedly the will out. He is our father, and we are adopted children, and we are here waiting for our inheritance. 
Notice an interesting detail here. Normally on your will, you have a testator who makes the will, and the will doesn't trigger until when? The testator dies. But who's the testator here? The testator here is God. God never dies. He's eternal. So the will becomes effective to you and to me as children of God when we die, not when the testator dies. That's a little different spin here. But here the testator is God. He does not die. He's immutable. He does not change. There's never going to be a last-minute change in the will. You're going to wake up after you pass from this life and find, hey, the, the will's changed. No, it's going to be the same. He's immutable. You don't have to fear that when you die, you find yourself disinherited. And we see here the beneficiaries are the heirs with Christ. Those are the ones who are going to be the beneficiaries of this great estate. He says, and fellow heirs with Christ. If you're children, you're an heir. And you're heirs with Christ. So if you're in the family of God, you're a a daughter or a son of the living God, you're in the will. There's inheritance. It's yours. Along with Christ. Now, if you're not a member of, of God's family, you're not a son or a daughter of God, you've never come to faith in Christ, you're still separated from God by your sin, then there's no inheritance. Instead, what you see is judgment. You see wrath in, in, in after you breathe your last breath. We've been appointed to be joint heirs with Christ. And by the way, this is a, a very unusual division of an estate. It's not like God has an estate and he's taking a fourth of it and giving it to Dave here and a fourth to his son Jesus, another fourth to someone else. Everyone inherits everything. Isn't that interesting? This is how God's estate works. Uh, It's every Christian, every believer in Christ, every son and daughter of, of God and the Lord Jesus Christ, they jointly own and are going to inherit everything. Undivided. Christ has inherited all things from the Father. We inherit all things from the Father. We are vitally joined to Christ. We're in union with Christ. Everything Christ receives, we receive. Before we receive this uh, joint inheritance with Christ, before all the riches of heaven become ours, we have to stop. Before, before, Before the day we pass from this life and look at this condition precedent, provide it. We suffer with him. Do you see that? Provided we suffer with him, then we'll receive the inheritance. First, we must walk the pathway of suffering before we enter into the eternal inheritance and glory of heaven. This is uh, it's not a possibility or a probability. This is, this is actuality. You will suffer. And... Uh, Scripture reminds us this life of a believer is not an easy path to walk. It's full of persecution, trials, suffering. This is normative Christianity 101. Verses that you're familiar with, uh, Matthew 5.10, Blessed are, are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you, utter false and evil against you on my account. Rejoice. Be glad. 
For your, your reward is great in heaven, for so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. It's unbelievable the number of verses that are just like this over and over and over again in Scripture. John fifteen eighteen. If the world hates you, then it has hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love you as its own. But because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. Remember, the word that I said to you, a servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. If they kept my word, they will also keep yours. But all these things they will do to you on account of my name, because they do not know him who sent me. This is normal Christian walk, Christianity. 2 Corinthians 1.5, For as we share abundantly in Christ's sufferings, so through Christ we share abundantly in comfort too. Philippians 3.10, That I may know him and the power of his resurrection and may share his sufferings, becoming like him in his death. 1 Peter 4.16, Yet if anyone suffers as a Christian... Let him not be ashamed, but let him glorify God in that name. You can see these, these passages over and over again reminding us that this life is not a, a smooth pathway to eternity. It's a bumpy path full of suffering, and especially at the hands of persecution. I know sometimes we take the word suffering, and we, we're, we're really too, too light with it, I think, uh, we overuse the term because we're very me-centered people. And we ask ourselves, what, is, what does Paul mean by suffering here? What does Christ mean by suffering? You know, sometimes we, we take it to mean like, well, I, I really had a rough week last week. Our team suffered defeat to Lander. Boy, we suffered. Or, you know, the Dow crashed last week. Down a thousand points. Well, I really suffered. My 401k really suffered. Or we suffered last winter. It was a harsh winter. Now, this is not the primary reason or understanding of suffering that Paul's giving us here. I believe the primary understanding is that of persecution for the name of the sake of Christ's name. I mean, this is promised over and over again in the Word of God that we will suffer persecution. And all you have to do is just begin to see how this plays out in church history. Over and over and over again do we see the, the saints of old persecuted for their faith. It was normative. I mean, go back to Polycarp. You know, Polycarp was an apostle of John, bishop of Smyrna, and uh, he was basically executed in Rome for his faith. Here's one account that I read. There's several different accounts, but this is the one that I read that seemed pretty, pretty accurate. Soldiers then grabbed him to nail him to the stake. They are going to burn him. But Polycarp stopped them. Leave me as I am, for he who grants me to endure the fire will enable me also to remain on the pyre unremoved and unmoved without the security you desire from nails. He prayed out loud. The fire was lit and his flesh was consumed. The chronicler who reported this said, 
It was not as a burning flesh that we saw or smelled, but as bread baking or as gold and silver being refined by the fire. So this is the persecution that, that Paul's talking about here, the suffering. You know, one of the pre, pre-reformers, John Huss, only in his 20s when he changed his own name to Huss, which meant goose. And he and his friends delighted in mocking him, making fun of him. He had all kinds of puns made against him because of his name, Goose. It was a tradition that continued. Even when Luther was writing about, uh, about Huss, he, 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 he said, because he too was burned at the stake, he writes, a Goose, who had been cooked for defying the Pope. And there he it was a way of his describing his martyrdom. I really recommend a a book that is uh, available called Five English Martyrs by J.C. Ryle to you. Uh, This goes to some of the five English martyrs who, uh, there are many, but five English martyrs uh, under uh, the reign of uh, Bloody Mary in England. Uh, It's just amazing the, the suffering that went, that took place in England during her reign. Uh, one of the men was, one of the first was John Rogers. He was uh, executed by Bloody Mary. Why? For believing the Bible. Why? For preaching the truth. Why? For taking a stance on worship that was biblical and confronting the errors of his day. For that you die. For that you burn. And we see here he was then led to, to Smithfield on foot within sight of the church of, Saint, of the St. Sepulchre. That's, that's where he preached. So right within the view of the church that we, where he preached. Along the, the road there, there were lines of, of, of people cheering on the burning of, uh, we see, John Rogers. But in that crowd was his family. And this brings tears to your eyes. It was his wife. He had ten children. They were all there. And one of them was a baby, and his mom's holding the baby in her arms. And she watched as they lit her husband on fire and burned him at the stake for his faith. Imagine those kids watching their dad burn at the stake. And I, I would only hope that, that they would grow up to have, be men and women. They would grow up to be strong in their faith, seeing their dad's stance in the midst of false doctrine. They rent the air, it says, and with thunder of applause, the crowds were applauding his, his, uh, his execution. One of the men who was there was an ambassador who wrote home a description of the scene and said that Rogers went to death as if it was, he was walking in a wedding. By God's great mercy, he died with comparative ease, and so the first Marian martyr passed away. Now, I realize that... I. I I believe that Paul's not telling us that in Cody, Wyoming, 21st century America here, that uh, any one of us is going to be burned at the stake or crucified on a cross or hung by our neck for our faith. Maybe it'll get to that point, but at least, I mean, that's not normative today. But this, this truth's still normative. In other words, those who suffer are the ones who are going to inherit. And... Uh, Christians are still being persecuted. Some are persecuted. They lose their jobs because they take a stance. Uh, this is the, the Lord's Day. Uh, there's a fourth commandment. In six days thou shalt work. And I'm not going to work on the Lord's Day. And they lose their job. 
They're fired for being faithful to God, suffering for Christ. Could be the heartbreak of, uh, of, of even breaking up with a, with a young lady or a young man who's an, unbel- an un- unbeliever. Because you want to be faithful to God, even though you have a love and affection for this other person, and you're breaking that relationship off, and it hurts your heart to do so, but you want to be faithful to God and not be unequally yoked. Could be a, a baker down in Denver who refuses to ba- bake a cake for, uh, for a gay marriage. And so he's, he's fined, taken to court, treated as a criminal. And uh, we went down and met with him, didn't we? And he was just a really, just a gentle man who loved the Lord. And, uh, but anyway, we, we, we have cases like that where he was suffering. Although the, ultimately the Supreme Court really uh, vindicated him. It was what, the case went all the way up to Supreme Court. I have a son-in-law who uh, was in a public high school. And they weren't sure they were going to graduate him because they said he, even though he was, he was like number one in the class, even though he's, you know, valedictorian, he's, he's on the football team, they, they said, you're, you know, you've got a psychology class that has to be taken. And even though he had enough credits to graduate. And he said, well, he said, I, I don't believe in psychology. I believe the Bible alone is a th- sufficient to deal with all matters, including matters of psychology. And they said, well, okay, you won't graduate. He's already accepted the college. And uh, he says, I, well, if I don't graduate, I'll go to college, get a college degree, but I just won't have a high school diploma. And it turns out that uh, they, they worked out a compromise. They said, listen, just write a paper. Write a paper, turn it into the teacher, make the teacher happy, and we'll give you your diploma. So what did he do? He wrote a paper about the sufficiency of Scripture. And they flunked him. Rather than giving him a passing grade, they flunked him. So he wouldn't graduate. You know, some of you know the story, you know how it ended, but uh, he did go to college, he graduated from college, became an engineer, see, a mechanical engineer. And uh, when he became an engineer, then my, married my daughter, they had some kids. My wife's back there, one of the kids was being born, I guess, uh, was it first born or second born? And a call comes from the high school. And the high school is calling him. This is like years after, after he never graduated. And they said, uh, would you like to graduate from high school? We felt very bad about the way you were treated. And he said, this principal said, come down to my office, and we'll have the graduation ceremony in my office today. I've got your diploma. And so and Mary, Mary got to go to my son-in-law's graduation for high school, didn't you? That was pretty cool. But these are forms of persecution. These are forms of modern-day suffering that people go through in our culture today. You know, it's suffering that comes to us, though, with a purpose from God. A purpose, there's a hand behind it. He has reasons for it. You know, I was wondering, is is the suffering that, that Paul's mentioning here bigger than persecution? I mean, how far out do you want to take it? And I believe, you know, and I'm not, not as on solid ground as I am when I say it's persecution, but I believe we can probably extend this out to talk about other sufferings in life that's brought upon us as a result of a fallen world that we live in, the curse of the world. And we have an enemy who wants to take those sufferings and use that against us in our faith. For example, this isn't persecution, but I believe it might include this kind of suffering 
you have a prodigal son or a prodigal daughter, and they leave home, and they break out, they break off with the family, and there you are, alone as his parents. I'll tell you what, that's like a knife in the heart. That's the kind of suffering. Some of you, I hope, will never, ever have to go through that. But that's a suffering, this deep, a deep wound of the heart. Uh, some of you are, 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 the, are struggling with a broken marriage. Not your fault, but here you are. You want the marriage to work, you want to work, reconcile, but here you are, suffering from that. And there's even the pains of illness. Where does illness come from? Sin, right? Sin enters into the world and you have this, this illness that uh, is uh, debilitating, painful, perhaps fatal. Some of the sufferings we go through in this life. I mean, I hope you see that just from this one verse, this shoots down any health, wealth, prosperity gospel. Uh, I mean, this is preaching suffering. Not only preaching suffering, it's saying you must suffer if you're going to enter into the eternal state, if you're going to enter into the very glorious state and receive your inheritance. See, because when suffering comes into our life, what happens is we tend to whine and, and, and we tend to cry out, Why me, God? Well, why, my, why do I have to do this? Why? I don't deserve how I'm being treated. I, I don't deserve this, this, this trial that I'm going through. Remember, the, the path is short. Eternity is forever. The glory is ahead. It's not here. And remember that as you go through the trials of life. Remember that God might be using this to strengthen your faith. Remember this, that this might be part of his sanctifying work on your life as he chisels out certain sins in your life through the suffering and through the ad- adversities. Next time, look, look, look at verse 18. For I consider that the suffering of this present time are, are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. No pain, no gain, we say, right? No, no cross, no crown, no suffering, no inheritance. That's why God has set it up this way. That's, that's, he says, as he adds to it, he tells us what our inheritance truly is. And the third point is, we see that we're heirs of glory. This is what he's bestowing upon every believer in Christ. In order that we, we suffer, in order that we may also be glorified with him. That's future. I, I, I can't even wrap my head around that part of the verse. I mean, when, when Paul just rattles off this word and he says, you know, uh, the, in order that we may also be glorified with him. Okay, those are words, right? Glorified with Christ. What does that mean? I mean, this is wonderful. This is majestic. This is awesome. We're going to be glorified with Christ. And the question is, what does that mean? How do you put that in words? How do you define that? How do you feel that in your heart? I mean, remember who, who we're dealing with here. This is God. This is not an ordinary testator who has a, a big estate. This isn't a Rob Walton of Walmart fame who died in 92 and, and left in his estate $190 billion. 
I mean, that's a big estate, right? But what did he give his, 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 his offspring? Brick-and-mortar stores? Certificates of stock? You say, well, $180 billion is a lot of money. Yeah, but it is. But those stores are just full of stuff. And that's all it is, is stuff. We say, oh, it's a lot of money. It's stuff. And what we see here is that God has given us the glory that we're going to share with Jesus Christ. So we have to look at the testator to see what the, what the benefits are that he's going to bestow upon us. This is the God who created the heavens and the earth, the whole universe. There's a new, there's a new uh, telescope out there now that's peering into galaxies we've never seen before. He made it all. We're not talking about brick-and-mortar Walmart stores here. We're talking about the universe. We're talking about stars and the earth and the life that's on the earth. He created it all. From everlasting to everlasting. I mean, try to put it in human terms. Uh, Haggai 2, verse 8. Silver is mine, and gold is mine, declares God. Well, that's a lot, isn't it? That's more than Sam, Sam Walton, or in this case, uh, Rob Walton. How much? All gold, all silver on earth is God's. We'll say, Hi, I got some in my 401k. Does that include that? Yeah, God owns that. You might be holding on to it, but God owns it. What about the silver and gold underneath the mountains here? Uh, out in the rivers. Oh, he owns that. Silver and the gold. What about Fort Knox? They still put gold in Fort Knox, by the way. I don't know if they do or not. But anyway, we're off any kind of standard now. But it, so Fort Knox, let's say. He owns that too. And then you come to Psalm 50, verse 10. And every beast of the forest is mine, says God. The cattle on a thousand hills. So we have Craig Giving here who's... You know, running the cows on the, on the Hoodoo Ranch. Maybe thousands of cows right, right up to South Fork, Matitsi. They own, they're owned by God, not Hoodoo. They're all owned by God. He owns it all. There isn't anything made that God doesn't own. And there isn't anything made that God has not bestowed as an inheritance upon those who are his children. Romans 4.13, Paul writes, Abraham and his offspring would be heirs of the world. Now think about that. Here's another inheritance. So Abraham and his offspring will end up being heirs. They're going to own the world. Now the question is, who are his offspring? Who are Abraham's offspring? And it's more than those who were born to Abraham back in his day. It's, you know, read Galatians 3.29, you find it, it's all of us in Christ. We're all sons of Abraham. We're all Jewish in the spiritual sense. And if you apply those two verses together, that means our inheritance is the whole world. I don't know how we, what do we do with it, but I'm just saying that it's pretty all-encompassing. 
and it's because we suffer with Christ, we'll be glorified with Christ. But also, we're going to see God. Do you realize that? That's part of this inheritance. I don't know exactly what that means. Uh, you know, no man has seen God. He is a spirit. He, he's invisible. We know that Christ is the right hand of the Father, and we're going to see Jesus face to face. But in some way, we're going to see God. Um, in a spiritual sense, I, I, do, I don't know. But uh, in Romans 5, 2, rejoice in the hope of glory. Because you're going to see God face to face. Revelation 21, 3. Is a, is a great verse. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people, and God himself will be with them as their God. That's in the future. And we're not going to just be there. We're going to be there in glorified bodies. Like Jesus' resurrected body, we will have a glorified body without pain, without sin. The emotions are going to be perfect emotions. Uh, no, no tears, no, no disease. No distractions during the worship time for eternity. We know we're, we're going to have perfect worship of God forever. Delighting in Him. And I do believe there's a connection between suffering and glorification in the future. We're going to get more into the glory of God in, in, in the next several verses. But the more that you're allowed to suffer, perhaps it well could be that the more glory you're going to be receiving and be part of and experiencing in the life that's yet to come. You're going to be sitting at the right hand of the Father. Now, what does that mean? Is that figurative? Is that literal? Position of authority. We're going to sit at the right hand of God, sharing with Christ, Hebrews 12, 2, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, for the joy that was set before him endured the cross. There's the suffering. Despising the shame, there's the suffering. And is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Okay? That's Christ. Revelation 3.21. And the one who conquers, I will grant him to sit with me on the throne as I conquer and sat down with my Father on His throne. So there we are with Christ, the right hand of the Father in heaven, a position of authority. Now, be careful you don't take this too far. This is not saying we're going to be like Christ in the sense that we will be Christ, or as some of the false teachers of our day call them, little Christ. We're not going to be little Christ. We're going to be created beings redeemed by the blood of the Lamb who are in the, in the presence of God and glorified by God. We're still created beings. And in some way, even though we're sharing in the glory with, with Christ before the throne of God, there, there's a difference. There, there's create, creature and creator difference. It's there. We're still... But I'll tell you what, that doesn't diminish the glory that we're going to experience in His presence. Revelation 3.12 says, I will write on him the name of my God and the name of the city of my God and a new Jerusalem which comes down from God out of heaven in my, on, my own, on my new name. And, and 1 Corinthians 15.49, And just as we have 
born the image of the man of dust. Who's that? Yeah. We shall also bear the image of the man of heaven. So there's the glory of, of heaven. Now I understand there's symbolic language here and putting us all together. All I know is this is going to be amazing, isn't it? I mean, it should be so amazing to us that we, we can't wait. I mean, we're driven to be in the presence of God. And when that day comes and when God causes us to take that last breath that he loaned to us and breathe that last breath, we're going to delight in being in his presence forever. I think this is why Christian funerals are always joyful, but yet also heavy-hearted. I mean, there's a joy to know that a person is in the presence of Christ, and we worship with him. You know, as we close this morning, let me close by uh, updating an illustration of John Newton. He wrote back in the 18th century. Uh, he wrote about buggies, but I'm going to write about cars. So this is my interpretation of his illustration. There's a man driving from the Bronx down in New York uh, to get his $25 million inheritance at the lawyer's office in downtown New York. And on his way, he's only about a mile from, uh, from the office, his car craters, it breaks down, falls apart. It's, and he's upset. So he starts walking. I can walk this last mile and get to that $25 million. And then he's mugged. He's beat over the head. And he only had $5 in his pocket, and somebody took the $5 and ran off and left him on the street. And so he's, in a physical way, he's going through a time of suffering. And he could let it overwhelm him. He could be critical. He could be whining. He could be going down and yelling at people, going to the police department. Did Just get all involved in this suffering that he's going through. But what does he have on his mind? It's that $25 million. And he says, I can get up. I'm okay. I can walk. And then he just walks that last half mile, whatever, quarter mile, to receive his $25 million. He's thinking, when I have $25 million, this car can go to the junkyard. I've got a new car, the best car, a Ferrari, I don't know, a Lamborghini. And that five bucks that was gone, it's gone. But I'm going to have $25 million in my pocket. You know, Peter writes in uh, chapter 4, But rejoice insofar as you share Christ's sufferings that you may also rejoice and be glad when his glory is revealed. You know, I don't know if you're going through one of those times of suffering in your, in your life. Uh, I do know this, you're not going to get to the end of it without going through it if you're a true child of God. And you, you know, that's, that's when you receive your inheritance. But whatever trial you're going through, suffering you're going through in this life, Remember this. It's a speck. A speck. As far as eternity goes, it's like this. I mean, what's ahead? Compared to the eternal glory that's ahead forever and ever and ever. And so the question I want to close with is, are you a son? Because if you're a son, you're an heir. If you're an heir, you're going to inherit if you suffer. And if you are, let me encourage you, it's coming.
It's coming. We're all going to die. Do you realize that? We're all going to step out of this life, eyes open, in eternity, facing Christ and, and basking in the glory of God forever. I don't know how that works out, but it's going to be great. And hopefully you're anticipating it, and hopefully you're looking forward to it as well. It's going to be an eternal delight. And until then, remember the Spirit of God is bringing witness with your, your, your spirit that truly you are a son of a living God, and that should encourage you to go through the times of trial and suffering till you receive your inheritance. Let's pray. Father, we close thanking you again for your word. It's, uh, it's a delight to hear, Lord, uh, what you've provided for us so generously. I mean, here we are, sinful creatures, redeemed by the blood of your, lamb, of your Son, the blood of the Lamb, Father. And, and if, if that wasn't enough, now you're going to give us an eternal inheritance that's ours in Christ to share, to be a joint heir with Him. Thank you for that gift, Father. Bless, bless your word in all of our hearts. May it strengthen us as we walk the path of suffering into your presence in Jesus' name. Amen.